thank you so much for joining the show. It's great to have you on. So yeah, thank, my- thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me again. And uh, I definitely appreciate you love having the opportunity to speak with you and on this platform. And um, it's an honor. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here with us. And I'm glad you responded. So where does the name uh, Rastafari come from? So the name Rastafari comes from Ali Selassie, right? So we have to go back to the year 1930, which is when Haile Selassie was crowned emperor of Ethiopia. Uh, now, his name, his birth name was as Tafari, Ras meaning head or king, and Tafari means something along the lines of revered in, in Amharic, which is the na- indigenous Ethiopian language. So that's, that's where the name really originates, you know, actually from the name of Rastafari, which is Haile Selassie. So could you tell us a little bit more about who exactly Haile Selassie was? Yeah, so Haile Selassie, as I mentioned, was was crowned uh, king of Ethiopia in the year 1930. He remained emperor of Ethiopia for at some sometime into the 1970s. And as far as like how a so first of all, I want to just make it clear that the Rastafari movement is not a religion. It's considered a, a movement, but not a religion. Just to make the, the difference, you know, in that it's not um, a centralized or organized movement such as like Christianity or Judaism. Um, I it's not appreciate a, not, you clearing that up. Yep, yeah, it's not a really within the Rastafari mindset and frame of mind. Religion, as we interpret it, has, has been generally used as a tool of division. And so that's one big reason we, we kind of stand out as something that's specifically not a religion and something that's more of a movement. Uh, yeah. And, and welcome to all. So Rastafari is love. Rastafari, Haile Selassie, like I said, crowned king of Ethiopia in 1930. Um, to look into the theological aspect of who he was and who he is from a Rastafari standpoint, we have to go back to the year 1920. And in that year, we had a man named Marcus Garvey, who was from Jamaica, moved to America and uh, had a a huge career. But basically, he in 1920, he put out a pamphlet and within that pamphlet had the quote, look to Africa when a black king shall be crowned for the day of deliverance is at hand. And so in 1930, when Haile Selassie was crowned king of Ethiopia, he was bestowed with a kingly name, which was Haile Selassie, which means the power of the Trinity. And so within that name, he was also given the title King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Conquering Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so sometime in the 1930s in Jamaica, there formed this movement, which became what we now as Rastafari. And what they saw was that they, they saw this prophecy, what's considered a prophecy from Marcus Garvey, look to Africa when a black king shall be crowned for the day of deliverance is at hand. And they knew within the Bible, you have uh, quotes such as, so I actually organized a couple of these because I wanted to be specific about what how the Bible calls into this prophecy, this uh, what's what many revere as the second coming of Christ. For example, in Revelation, we have the quote, weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So when you see the name the, in the, within this quote, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and then at his uh, when he was crowned king, he was given the name Conquering Lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's so many more within Luke. It says, uh, weep not, behold, the Lion of Judah, the root of David. Keep in mind, Haile Selassie has blood roots 
uh, to within uh, as a direct descendant of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba through their son Menelik. And so that's this is kind of uh, all different factors. Another quote I wanted to mention specifically was is from Luke, and that is that, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So all these things together came to be known as Haile Selassie Rastafari. So would it be accurate to say that Rastafari see Haile Selassie as like a second coming of Christ? Or would it be more accurate to say he's a revered figure <laughs> or a sort of prophet? It's a good question. You know, both could be accurate. It's just because it, Rastafari is is more, it's not a, um, there's not one way to see who Haile Selassie is. And so for many people, he's seen as the second coming of Christ, Christ himself. And for many others, seen more as like a prophet, as you mentioned. Um, so I would just say that I should have said this in the beginning, but I, I, I want to be clear that I'm not I don't want to put myself as an authority on Rastafari either. I don't want to I would not want to step on any toes in that sense, but I'm happy to to speak on Rastafari as someone who's you know, been very inspired by this movement and part of the movement. Um, but there's not a there's not a one way to see Haile Selassie because clearly he's a prophet. I don't think that can be argued because there's so many hundreds of millions of people around the world who who has he has you know it was prophesized he came to be. And as far as being the second coming of Christ, I think many people do, and some people see him more as a prophet because as we know from the Bible. Um, you know, Christ was known as he considered himself the son of God, son of man. But he also said many times that we, we are all the sons and daughters of, of God. So we all have that divinity within ourselves. So I think I think personally, at least the way I see it is, you know, seeing Selassie is someone who exemplifies that, that within each of us lives that divine self, which is the which is the I and I. So something else you hear within Rastafari is I and I. Every, we all. It's a different way of speaking. It's like a, like a, well, it's like a flipping of words. I just would say that alchemy. That's the word I was looking for. It's an alchemy of words. So you can do alchemy within this ang English language, which is really like a commerce language. But when you when you can do alchemy with it, then you can turn it into anything you want. So within the I and I, instead of saying me, we usually say I and I, because I and I, what I and I represents is the the I within the I, and that is the Rastafari, the Most High within I. So there's no separation between God and me, because we know that as the son or daughter of God, it lives within each and every one of us. And so within the I and I, it keeps that, it's like a constant reminder that God is within the I, which is our body, well, our spirit. But within Rastafari, we see our body as a temple. And so like going to church isn't, we don't necessarily diss that because that's to each their own. You can be a Christian and still be a Rasta or a Buddha and a Rasta because Rasta is really love. Um, but the body is seen more as the as the temple. And so we don't need to look outside of ourselves, you know, to find God. That's very poetic. And sometimes uh, Rastafari might refer to uh, Haile Selassie or his wife, Walata Giorgis, as King Alpha and Queen Omega. So why is this? It's just a reference to the balance, the balance in life, you know, the in this case, it's a masculine, masculine and feminine. There's another popular phrase, king and queen crowned same time, because Haile Selassie was, was uh, he made sure that 
that he was crowned at the same time as as his wife queen and so that within rastafari represents the, the equality you know and the the balance that to always reach for that balance and again Haile Selassie was an example of um that that uh that up up full kind of liberty and discipline and one of respect including of course within the family Thank you. So not all Rastafari have dreadlocks, but many do, and they have a special meaning. So what is this meaning, and why do some wear dreadlocks? So the dreadlocks, um, yeah, that's another good question. So there's a popular phrase that was popularized by a reggae group called Morgan Heritage in the 1990s that says, don't have your dread to be Rasta. Uh, but like you said, many and probably most people who identify as Rastafari do have dreadlocks. And so the dreadlocks really, uh, it's, it represents a connection with the lion, and that is within the lion of Judah, conquering lion from the tribe of Judah as Rastafari Ali Selassie. Uh, also as a Nazar, like a considered a Nazarite vow. Uh, there's some quotes from the Bible that talk about I don't know them offhand exactly, but they talk about like not shaving the head, letting the beard grow um, as a vow. And that's the other aspect of the dreadlocks. And the another, I think, important thing to mention is, oh, well, the other thing about the dreadlocks I find interesting, too, that I don't have dreadlocks. But um, another importance of the dreadlocks for some is that and this is kind of more metaphysical, but seen it as like a antenna to connect to the most high. And so that, you know, they consider like, okay, this is my antenna that connect to that connect for that, for the most high connection. Um, but what I wanted to mention, because when we speak about Nazarite vow, the, the diet too is one and lifestyle, like in general, not just diet, just life. But as far as diet, you know, it's generally now, again, we go back that this is not like a, not every Rastafari is going to have the same kind of diet or, or view things the exact same way, but um, a really traditional Rastafari diet would be vegan and also even no salt, no sugar, no, you know, added sugars. So a pretty strict diet, but clearly one that, and I would say from my experience, like very few, you know, a small percentage of Rastafari, you know, adhere to that strict of a diet, but certainly to have that natural liberty, um, however that fits into, you, you know, how you view it. Um, is definitely part of the lifestyle and the, and the life of, as a Rasta uh, to have that natural liberty, like whether it's, you know, natural food, um, natural medicine, if it doesn't come from nature, we don't want to put it into our body. Like with the way we see these kind of things is that if they're, you know, nature has a cure for every kind of thing that comes up. So we look to nature. It's like, it's a connection with the nature because within nature, you know, you can learn from man and you can learn from woman, but what you can learn from nature is the highest. It's like learning from yourself because we are nature. That's very true. That's a very good point. That also kind of reminds me how if you listen to some reggae music, sometimes you hear people use words like ball head. Or oh, yeah, bald head. To yeah. Sort of like non-Rastafari people. So that was kind of like a, a twist for me when it's just like, oh, yeah, there's actually right. a lot of people that don't have um, dreadlocks. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So bald head, you know, it's bald head can be it's more of a figurative expression. It doesn't have to be someone who actually has a bald head and it can even be someone with dreadlocks, you know, who has that bald head kind of frame of mind, like a Babylon kind of frame of mind, like the system, someone who's promoting the, uh, the system that's bringing down, you know, the, the, 
trying, attempting to bring down people's connection with the Most High. So that directly ties into my next question, which is a lot of uh, Rastafari art, music, and literature mentions Babylon and the Babylon system. So what exactly is the system and how does Rastafari try to combat it? Well, the system is, I mean, it's look at the history of, I don't want to just point out the Western world because that's too nearsighted, like to not say like, okay, this isn't the first time this has happened before. This kind of um, attempt to to bring a people down, but specifically within Rastafari, because this is an Afrocentric movement, really, when it comes down to it. And so we're looking at as a response to the downpression of people who partly were uh, went through slavery. But then there's also the fact that there's many people of who you would call African, who are really indigenous Americans, people who were already here pre-slavery. Some of them got mixed up with slavery too. Um, so when you talk about Babylon, to go back to back to, to your actual question, it is a system that that we lit that I don't say that we live in because within Rastafari we live outside that system, but it's like the mainstream system that um, I mean all these lies are being exposed, so it's it's so hard to within the time frame that we have we we could go on like hours just about this era, <laughs> but no, it's it's a really good question. You're welcome I, to come I'm, back on the show if you want. <laughs> I I still have time. Okay. The whole 30 minutes is just kind of a guideline. You don't really have to follow it. Okay. But yeah. Okay. So we got, we had something called slavery. We still have what we consider modern day slavery. You know, the, this 40 hour a week, if you're lucky, uh, kind of lifestyle um, and kind of commercialism. And I mean, look at uh, just, just for example, I don't want to focus on one thing, but like to see how people who choose to live a more natural lifestyle um are being treated right now like um within rastafari and within so many indigenous traditions we have all these you know natural herbs antiviral herbs antibacterial herbs that we've been using successfully you know for thousands and thousands of years and to come in and say you have to take this that's babylon um you know and yeah it, it's it's thick but as far as combating combating it um through so many different ways but one way I, I would just want to point out one way that i think has been really effective is it's more of a metaphysical practice but it's it's like these groundations and having holding ceremony and, and like the nyabingi drumbeat alone um nyabingi is a drumbeat that kind of goes like this it's kind of like the heartbeat it's like dum, 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 dum. So the Nyabingi drumbeat comes from uh, Africa, but really comes from our mother, our, our own mom. Like within our the moment of our conception, we all heard that sound because that sound was, we heard our own mother's heartbeat. So playing that kind of drumbeat centers oneself and can remove Babylon from your life because you you become focused on on the now when you, when you have that drumbeat going. So there's been times in like Jamaica where Rastafari brethren and sisters have gotten together and played that drumbeat for like 10 days straight, nonstop. Like when uh, Ronald Reagan visited one time in the 1980s, they played that. They had a groundation up in the hills and kind of <laughs> drove them out. Um, so, um, but uh, but I, I would want to just point out like how effective it's been. And, and so that ties into like how Rastafari is intertwined with reggae music, but reggae music Nyabingi precedes reggae music. So it's one of the roots. I mean, reggae music, if you study like the history of reggae music, it, it 
comes from traditional Jamaican music and mixed with like American R&B. Like they were hearing a lot of the music from Miami and stuff in the 1950s and 60s, catching airwaves from there and kind of so mixing that American R&B sound of Motown, et cetera, with indigenous Jamaican sounds moved into reggae music. But Nyabingi was at the core as well. Nyabingi was more the core of like the spiritual Rastafari aspect of reggae music. And so when you look at artists like Bob Marley, we'll be the first one because he's such a, you know, well-known artist among the world, like anywhere you go in the world, people know Bob Marley and you know, Bob Marley stands for like revolution. And so that I think goes to show as far as combating Babylon, I think of the Nyabingi drum and then how it's moved in through reggae music to spread that message, like to awaken people. This is, you know, of course, nowadays is like this expression being woke, but Rastafari has been talking about that for 75 years. Um, so it's all kind of coming to fruition, but, um, but yeah, that's one way of combating it is, is, is within, within the music, I think. And other ways is with love, um, treating, you know, everybody with universal and unconditional love as best we can. Um, and, you know, working towards change where, where you see you know, an opportunity to change things. And we're, as we all know, we're in a great time of change right now. And um, when you close one door, you have another one open. So, so many doors are open right now, I feel like, um, for this great change that's been prophesied for so many thousands of years. Absolutely. So what are reasonings and ground nations? And you mentioned them uh, briefly earlier. So a reasoning is, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like what we're doing right now. A reasoning is it's just a conversation, uh, one that's with openness, love, overstanding, understanding. And um, yeah, within the Rastafari culture, there's actually really within Jamaican culture, like reasonings are so such a core part of the culture. Uh, but of course, within Rastafari, yeah, the reasonings are, are just that, you know, it's an open conversation. Everybody gets a turn to speak. <clears throat> Groundation specifically is more referring to uh, celebrating the day when Haile Selassie came to Jamaica. And that was April 20. He, he, he set foot April 21st, 1966, I believe was the year. But April 21st the, he is the day he landed. He was there for three days. April 22nd, I think, was the only full day he was there. So I personally see the significance in that day as well. But April 21st is considered Groundation Day. And um, that refers to the day he set ground in Jamaica because the Rastafari movement started in Jamaica. Of course, now it's worldwide, but um, it's, it's a significance. Like there were like hundreds of thousands of people when he got to Jamaica because uh, he was seen, you know, as, as Christ to many. and certainly a prophet to most and an, and an inspirational leader at the time, you know, this is in the 1960s when we still had segregation in this country and to see a black leader uh, to be part of the United Nations and to be, you know, um, he was the, the greatest, mo most well-respected black leader in the world at the time. So even people who weren't associated with the Rastafari movement, uh, it was, I think it was just a huge honor to have him set foot in Jamaica. But within Rastafari, that became groundation. They say that he didn't want a red carpet to walk down. Um, he wanted to actually touch his feet to the soil and be grounded to that Jamaican soil. And so that's kind of refers to that groundation. It's very interesting. I know a lot of people viewed him as a very humble man, despite his um, 
his stature and the reverence he experienced during his lifetime. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, I mean, he and he, uh, you know, the thing about that day when he went to Jamaica in 1966 is you have to remember and realize that I don't want to say up until that point because it continued afterwards, but the the uh, amount like nowadays you think of Rasta, it's kind of trendy, you know, it's cool and stuff like that, but it, it wasn't cool at all back then. It was it was illegal to have dreadlocks in Jamaica. If the police caught you with dreadlocks, they would catch you, cut your dreadlocks off and put you in prison. So the amount of um, persecution that Rastafari people were facing in Jamaica at that time was extreme. And so when Rastafari came to Jamaica, the greatest black leader in the world, and he accepted, he actually met privately with Rastafari leaders. You know, this must have made the Jamaican government furious. And, you know, they, that was like a nightmare situation for the Jamaican government because they wanted him to come here and say, like, no, this is ridiculous. I'm not God. And of course, he was a Christian to make that clear, but he never claimed to be, you know, anything other than a devout Christian. Um, but for sure, the Jamaican government and all the kind of Babylonian forces of the world were, were hoping for him to come to Jamaica and just squash the movement, just to say, you know, you, you people are ridiculous, you're using drugs, you're whatever they thought they, he might say, or he, they wanted him to say. He didn't say any of that. He, he met privately with Rastafari. He, they were really the people who guided him through Jamaica or the Rastafari community. So he, while he didn't come out and say outright, I'm the second coming of Christ, he didn't um, denounce it either. And he, he treated those people with high levels of respect. Like he, those are the people he spent time with, not so much the, um, the government, you know, leaders of the time. So it's another significance of how great that day was, because from that day forward, that's when the tide kind of changed in terms of the acceptance of Rastafari within Jamaica and then subsequently around the world. I think those are all good points. And I know um, you briefly mentioned drug usage. And another part of Rastafari that's been controversial is the usage of cannabis. However, there have been newer laws that have been put into place that have removed some of the past restrictions. So how is cannabis used to Rastafari? And what would some of these uh, restrictions being moved mean to them? Well. Yeah, so cannabis, within Rastafari culture, cannabis is considered a sacred herb. You know, that's really what it comes down to, um, not to mention medicine. So I would say it's it's quite important, you know, to have these restrictions move. It's, it's, it's progress. Um, not that every Rastafari uses, you know, cannabis. Um, many do and many don't. Um, or many might may just use it in tea as like a medicine. And many, you know, may use it for... Uh, spiritual reasons, but it's not it's not considered a drug and it never has been considered a drug within Rastafari culture. It's never been something like a silliness kind of thing. Um, it's more like a yeah, it's a it's a spiritual herb. So it's used in ceremony. It's always been considered uh, sacred. And yeah, for them, for anybody to call it a drug, like especially back in the day when it was really like if you got caught with a little bit of ganja in Jamaica, you were 10 years in prison. You know, the, the intention was clear. There's another example of Babylon, of course, but they, the intention was clear that it was, they wanted to, it was mind control. They wanted to control of people's mind. They wanted them to be drinking alcohol and not, you know, using a, a herb like cannabis that, you know, because they knew how it was revered to them as, as something that was sacred. So they wanted to kind of take that away. And 
Um, so yeah, it's it's progress. It's important that the restrictions are, are removed, and and not to mention that like you know because it's cannabis, it's kind of a complex issue, but it's a plant that's been GMO'd and everything else, just like everything. And uh, so keeping like the natural, more original strains alive is, is important too. I think that's within Rastafari, that's another aspect that isn't talked about as much, but like it's, I don't want to say a downside of legalization or commercial. Uh, it's not a downside of legalization, but it can be associated with the commercialization of it. Um, and like the indoor, the whole indoor growth facility thing, which isn't like, I don't want to say it's, uh, you know, forbidden or, or looked down upon necessarily. But certainly any plant that's grown under the sun, you know, it just has that God energy to it uh, that much more than something growing under lights. And so, yeah, keeping so it's it's progress. But I think it's important to note, like the importance of keeping the more natural strain and original strains alive and the natural um, growing conditions under out, outdoor organic. I have to agree with that. That's also true that most Rastafari would not be uh, consuming alcohol. And it's definitely kind of strange for me just to see how much of a shift there's been towards the way people react to cannabis. Because I'm like on my college campus and I'm just sitting in one of my classes and there's like multiple kids that have like stickers of marijuana and stuff on their laptops like it's trendy and then I remember one of my friends in high school who was an honor student he ended up getting sent to 10 years in prison just because he was selling marijuana to try to support his family after his dad died and he's still in jail so wow <clears throat> that's crazy yep there you go that's that's Babylon for you absolutely you know and like you know I remember with my didn't affect my wife because she doesn't you know she doesn't use cannabis at all but i remember uh her applying for like uh scholarships and grants and stuff for college like this is going back maybe 10 years ago or something and um at that time and i don't know if this has changed but at that time if you had any drug conviction as 18 years old or older uh you were not eligible for scholarships or grants so like there goes your you got busted for a joint when you were 18 years old and now you can't go to college because you can't even get a grant or a scholarship. So, yeah, that's but that's so your friend's still in prison for that. Yeah, he is. But there's um, a program I got involved with because I work for different nonprofits and there's one Florida Cares and they help out with the rights of prisoners. So they do um, a lot of work just to try to make sure they're okay while they're still in there and also um, try to reform like the biggest campaign we did as of late was the beat the heat campaign where people would go inside a prison cell simulation in the florida summer with no air conditioning and they'd be in there for about five minutes or so just to see what prisoners have to be in for sometimes 23 hours a day depending on the situation but there is there, there is hope and there are people out there that can help so that's something we're trying to do right now and I've worked with other places that do um, outreach programs I'm sorry I just need a minute but yeah he was a, a good person and he didn't deserve that so I try to keep the hope alive do what I can. You got it. So what are some of the different ways that Rastafari use prayers in their life? So prayer, I mean, 
rest to the for the Rastafari, like it's um, Old Testament and New Testament are both considered important texts. And not to mention like the Kebra, there's some other texts that are more specific to, to Rastafari, Ethiopian uh, based texts that some of them are just kind of, well, they're, they're all of course spiritual in, in nature, um, but some of them do clarify the link between Haile Selassie and King Solomon of the Bible. Um, but from, you know, prayers, it's like a live, I, I, the way I see it, and I, I would say it's, it's a, a living prayer, you know, like life is a, as a prayer. Um, but certainly, I think just like most people, um, Rastafari, within Rastafari culture, you know, there's a lot of the, it's definitely not a, a Sunday kind of thing. It's definitely not a one day a week kind of thing. It's a seven day a week, you know, living prayer. Um, and, but certainly, you know, some of the, what you might consider more typical, like in the in the beginning of the day, first light, uh, having a prayer before before going to bed, and um, even before eating, and you know, then you have like these foundations. We talked about them a little bit, but like I said, those ceremonies can go on for days, days on end, and it's that drumbeat. It's like that Nyabingi drumbeat, and within that, you have prayer. Um, so you know, utilizing prayer and meditation to tap into that metaphysical energy that god energy you know that's in within each and each one of us i would say is how prayer is used do you have any prayers you would like to share with us today so i wanted to uh this is i wanted to actually quote haile selassie this isn't actually a prayer um you know in terms of a prayer i would just say you know, I, I would just encourage people to remember that we're all here for a purpose, for a reason, and for a season. And we're we're all born to do this. You know, we're born to be here. We all have that that God energy, that God spark, that uh, divine nature within us. And um, you know, just to 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 reach and seek and, and give ourselves the time to to find that within ourselves, because we never have to search any further than ourselves. So any situation you may find yourself in, you know, there's that. There's always that solution is always within, never without. And so I want to um, quote Haile Selassie because he said this. I don't remember the, the year, um, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> and Bob Marley uh, popularized this, this, this speech in his song called War. And, and, and Bob Marley quoted it almost word for word from Haile, Haile Selassie's speech, which was to the uh, United Nations and but it remains true to this day and it, and it speaks to the uh the low vibration energy of war i think in general you know because i have two youths i have two daughters and they're one in five so they're not really in school yet or anything like that but to me when i when i think about this speech and i think about how our our kids are taught specifically about history and i love the subject of history i think it's so important but to focus just on the wars and uh, who won this war and who won that war, it, it teaches children the wrong message. Um, it teaches children that this is how you get, you get things by having war, which we don't get anything by having a war. War, if, there, if war exists in the world, it's evidence that we have not, as a human race, we have a long way to go, <laughs> pretty much. Like we have not evolved very high if we still have war. Uh, we teach kids to not fight and to, to be able to discuss their problems and come to a solution yet in history class they teach them this is how we this is how things have been dealt with throughout the ages that there's all these wars so we we have it within us to, to go beyond war 
um, to live within a, in a world that does not have war. And so Haile Selassie spoke to this, but we have to first make some changes before we can even dream of that reality. And so this is what he said, until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, everywhere is war. And until there are no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation, until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes, and until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race, there is war. And until that day, the dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, the rule of international morality will remain but a fleeting illusion to be pursued, but never attained. So for me, that's really powerful because it speaks on the fact that, you know, you have to see that that there's a war going on right now, even if it's a metaphysical war or a physical war. Um, there is war going on all, all around the world. And but then there's, a, there's this kind of metaphysical war. And until we can reach, you know, that day where we fulfill these, there's there's no point in even, you know, imagining that there wouldn't be war because there's. If that if there's this kind of mentality within people's mindset, then there's a war within. Because if they hate someone else, they're they're hating themselves. You know, we're all just we're all just a different expression of the Most High. So you can't have hate within yourself uh, for another person without hating yourself. You know, that's where that that energy is coming from. But we can get there, and uh, I know a lot of people see this time that we're living in as kind of a well, it is a challenging time. That, that I see, that I agree with, um, and a lot of doors are closing, but that just means that so many more are opening up. And so it's actually, it's a it's a great time. I consider it a great time to be alive. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now and that that people are waking up, waking up, and I give thanks, you know, to be, be alive right now. Absolutely. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss on the show today? Um, no. Just, yeah, thanks again, Sarah. I really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck with your show. It's, it's really cool. I checked out a couple of the episodes and <clears throat> enjoyed it. You know, I, I think it's, I love what you're doing, like highlighting different religions and movements across the world and finding there's so many more um, similarities than there are differences. And um, not that the differences aren't important too. You know, we have our cultures, like we we'll always have the cultures and um, that's a positive thing. Um, but yeah, I would just thank you for what you're doing and thanks for having, having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So could you tell us a little bit more about your own podcast, Jailworks Radio? Yeah, sure, Sarah. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Jailworks Radio, it's a reggae, it's the foundation of Jailworks Radio is a, a reggae radio show and podcast. We've been doing it for a long time. It's me and my brethren, Rossi. And the way Jowworks Radio really came about uh, one day was we were living in Colorado, a town called Crescent Butte, and we were doing a radio show called The Itow Show, which was a reggae show also. And we were chilling on a river called the East River, and we were uh, eating an apple, talking about our like visions of the future and just our visions in general. And we had this vision to do something with youth promotion. And there was an artist, a regular artist by the name of Sugar Mina, who had recently passed away. And he was he was known within youth promotion. That was his thing, really. But we kind of vowed that we wanted to kind of continue those works uh, in our own way, in our, in our own style. And we uh, 
we set that intention and we set the apple core into the river and we watched it float down the river. And then one of those seeds, some of the, you know, the, the apple floated down the river and different seeds sprouted different places. One of those seeds that sprouted was can became Jawworks Radio. And so basically it's it's the core of the the radio show is reggae music, conscious reggae music, something that's uplifting, positive to the soul. And we also bring like inspirational people onto the radio show, um, indigenous people, uh, healers, scientists, uh, anybody who's you know we find really inspiring. Uh, most of it, mostly actually reggae artists. So we do some you know interviews as well, mix of reggae music and other other forms of music have found their way into our show too, especially with the youth promotion. We work with an organization in Nigeria and they have a, a school, which is for mainly for kids who haven't had a chance. You actually have to pay to go to elementary school in Calabar, Nigeria. And so this is a school that's free. It's for kids who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. So we work with those youths, with some like great, great um, youths coming out of that area. So uh, the youth promotion is still a big part of our radio platform and uh, with reggae as the, the core of the show. That's incredible. And that's incredible work that you do for the community and how you give back to people. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's we call it Jaw Works because it's Jaw, of course, is God work. So it, and it's not to say it's more about like, OK, so this is us tapping into what our what our dream has always been like me and my my friend Rossi, both of us, ever since we were little kids, always dreamed about like having a doing radio. Um, so. So it's taking that dream and like fueling another dream, whether it's somebody becoming an artist, you know, giving them that opportunity to come on and just uh, using our dream to fuel other dreams. Um, it's all just part of the dream, bringing it all into fruition. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us today? No, that's it. Um, you can check out people want to check out the radio show. They can check out um, the website, jowworksradio.com. It's J A H worksradio.com also found on itunes and many other podcast providers you can catch it there and um, catch out the different different shows find something you know you might enjoy and vibrate with and um yeah just want to just let everybody know love them and see the most high creator spirit within each each and every one of them thanks absolutely